Many of us, if not all of us, whether you're little like that or the oldest one in this room, we come dragging with us what can only be described as heavy burdens. I know that uh, many of you carry especially heavy burdens, but we all at one time or another come in with some sort of burden. Whether we would admit it or expect it, we come with a hope that we might find something that would hearten us or encourage us and strengthen us. Come to this this morning. We come to the Word on in other mornings and come to times of prayer and and community group and Bible studies, but we come to this location on Sunday mornings to be strengthened that the Lord, we're coming into his presence by the blood of Jesus and we're looking to be cared for and strengthened and comforted. I mean, you know your own heart this morning. How many things are going on in your heart? How many things are going on in your mind? How many concerns? How many weights? Throughout the last few thousand years, the Lord's people have gone time and time again to the book of Psalms. Um, These songs that were written, filled with real emotion, real joy, real fear, real trouble, real hope. And as the elders thought about the number of difficulties that we're experiencing as a church family, We thought it would be good as we leave Philippians and go into the summer months where attendance is a little spotty or spottier um, to hit on some psalms and to hit on the same kind of psalms, kind of lament kind of psalms that tend towards thanksgiving at the end. And there's things we can learn from them and how to wrestle, how to walk through struggle, how to live in these difficulties. And this morning we begin in Psalm 3. The psalm starts out telling us that it's a psalm of David when he fled from his son, Absalom. And if a father is fleeing from his son for his very life, you know something has gone seriously wrong. Um, It'd be good and right for us to consider uh, this morning uh, what this coup attempt against King David meant for the you know, the, the Davidic plan of God to have the Messiah come through the line of David. So if Absalom took, took over David's role, what, what would that mean? And what kind of spiritual thing was going on in these days, the, the enemy working against God's plan in this? When we could talk about that for quite a bit and it would be right to do so, but I did not feel like we needed to do that this morning. Although I would encourage you to study that and maybe one day we'll come back to that. What I do want us to see is that the one writing this psalm is a very real guy, King David. I mean, King da- everyone knows King David. Michelangelo knew King David by way of artistry. We all know David, and this is his son revolting against him and desiring him dead. Now, not one of us, I think, not one of us are experiencing anything like what King David is experiencing. We're experiencing our own sorrow. But this is, this is a son, not just, not just a teenage son coming against a father. This is a grown man coming against the king. And not just coming against him, but coming against him with an army, with people he has gathered around him and brought upon himself and trying to have this coup attempt in Israel. This is a big deal. This, this is the context of the trouble that David is in in Psalm 3. It's not just a nice poem that, that kind of 
flows and is sung and whatever. This is a real man in real trouble, a real problem with his life on the line writing a song. Um, It's no little thing. And while David's situation, again, is unique on account of his grand importance as the anointed king, what we come to in this psalm is simply a song. It's a prayer amid significant trouble from a very real person. And as far as I can tell, again, the situation that David is experiencing is just a really extreme situation. And so, no matter how extreme your situation is, or no matter how light your situation is, We can learn from this guy who has this extreme situation, what he's doing, how he cares for his soul, what he does in the moment of trouble, and not just the moment of trouble, but these days of trouble. This is a prayer from a real person in real trouble, a prayer that you and I can learn from so that we might learn to pray in our own day of trouble. And so, have you come with heavy burdens? Well, What is on your heart this morning? What kind of heavy burden is it? And let's learn together how David prayed in this severe testing, this severe affliction, this trouble in his life. The first thing he did was he spoke to God of his trouble. He spoke to God of his trouble. Verse is one and two. O Lord, Yahweh, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So they're they're not necessarily just yelling it at him, but they're talking about there's no salvation for David. There's no deliverance for David. We've got him. There's nothing, no one's gonna save him. God doesn't wanna save him. Nobody's gonna save him. He's all alone. He's by himself. We've got him. That's what he's hearing coming to him. Routinely, And one, one of the things that you might notice is David using, using the word many, many times, just in this little verse. He's painting a clear picture for us. This isn't just a light affliction that's going to go away anytime soon. This is trouble from many people over an extended period of time. Not, not just Absalom, again, but the people that Absalom had won over to his side. There are many, many enemies against King David in these moments. Always were, but in this moment particularly. They were taunting him, saying again to him specifically, there is no salvation, there is no deliverance for him in God. And I mentioned this a couple times this morning, but salvation and deliverance are, there's like sometimes the, the word is, is, inner, inner, is used, used the same in, in different ways at different times. Doesn't mean in this moment the salvation that David is experiencing or wanting or being threatened that like God is not for him in this way. It doesn't mean the personal forgiveness or the washing of guilt type of thing we think of in the New Testament, which is right and true. But what these enemies again are shouting at him is that God is not going to deliver him from this specific circumstance. That God has and that God will continue to abandon him and to remove his righteous right hand from him. So, so say all day long, David, um, uh, fear not, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you with my righteous right hand. These people are saying, not true. It's not true. God is not for you. God is against you. God is not going to save you. God's not going to deliver you. And we might understand why people would say that uh, of David, um, or David might be tempted to believe it. I mean, you figure he's running from his son, 
He's trying to steal his throne. He's hiding at night, hiding in wells, hiding in caves. And when you were or are the king, and so something significant is happening here. And you might be tempted to think, if you're David, that God has indeed left you. I'm in a, I'm in a cave. My life is on the line. Now, perhaps it was on account of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He's just getting what's due him. Perhaps because he had lost the respect of his people, which is where the situation is with Absalom, just lost some respect and lost great respect. Perhaps he was trying, this is David's thought, perhaps God's just trying to teach me something and God's being rather vindictive with me. Now, you and I aren't kings with people trying to steal our throne like this, but we are people who understand amid the trouble that we face, the voices that say there is no deliverance from God for us. For David, his enemies were many others around him, but surely he also had the voices in his own head. And perhaps our own voices can be the loudest enemies we hear. Doubts and self-accusations are significantly powerful. They come against us in the still of night, in the safest of places at times. Not just by way of monsters and aliens, but doubts of God's love, doubt of God's deliverance, doubt of God's promises, which is far worse than monsters. Perhaps it's the voice that tells you you're not good enough for God to love you. Or I'll never be delivered if I don't get my act together. Or I've cried out to God and he's obviously not listening. And he wants me to learn something evidently and if I don't learn it, he's gonna to continue to press on me until I finally get it. And so I gotta get this. Or he's left me alone and there's no help coming. And so you sink into hopelessness as you lay in your bed at three o'clock in the morning staring at the ceiling. These soft spots in our faith that get pushed on by circumstances that we have to deal with, they tempt us to say, will God actually deliver me? But you see what David does here amid all the despair and all the fear, and, and, and again, we, we must... We must recognize David is just like you and I. If you had somebody chasing you, your son, with an army trying to kill you, how would you feel? We don't really have a clue, do we? But if your wife has a disease and your child's in the hospital and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, and your child has departed the faith. Now that question, is God going to work? That question comes at three in, the, three in the morning, doesn't it? Comes at 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, 11.30, 11.45, But what David does amid his despair and fear, David speaks to God about it. It's not complicated. He speaks to God about it. 
He has no one else. He's alone. And all his enemies, God is gone. God will not deliver you. And what does David do? Turns his eyes and prays. And he talks to God about it. Not some sort of theological treatise, prayer, but a, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Does God know how many foes he has? Absolutely, but he's telling God. He's speaking to God about it. The very one whom these people have said, God does not care for you, he says, if he doesn't care for me, no one cares for me. I've got to run to him. He is my only hope. And so he pours out his heart to him. He cries to him. He tells God that all he can hear is the voices of the many. And you know those voices drown out all sorts of other voices, don't they? They drown them out. They drown out the word of God. They drown out all the promises. They drown out all the encouragements. Or at least they attempt to drown out. Still, David does not just simply bow to that. He tells God about the fact that he hears all these voices of the many who are saying to him that you don't care about me. Except I know you do. This is why he comes to him. Often when we hear the enemy voices in our lives telling us that there is no way out, no deliverance, God is not for you, God is far off, God is not real, we succumb to it and we grow in doubt and we sit in it and we can't get out, right? can't get out. We sit in our tears, we sit in our anger, and we sit in our frustration, we sit in our depression. And David teaches us to take those voices to God, to pour out the anguish at his feet and entrust ourselves to him. Now, do we deserve God's deliverance? The answer is no. But by the grace of God, the mercy of God, he pours his love and mercy on us. He welcomes us to him. Not because we deserve it, but because he is merciful and because he is gracious. So David would say, friends, tell him of your sorrows. Tell him of your predicament. Surely, again, he knows it already, but share with him your heart here. Tell God of your troubles. Don't listen to the voices that tell you that he will not deliver you or that he doesn't care. He calls us to come to him, tell him, speak to him without fear, without condemnation, without trepidation, to come freely and confidently over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and cry out to him for the first time or the umpteenth time to come to him and tell him of your troubles. Now, I know we just got going in this sermon. It's here I want us to stop. I mean, the word Selah shows up at the end of this. This is not why we're doing this stop, but it's appropriate to stop here and to consider and to reflect. We believe here that God primarily speaks through his word, through this word. And this is perfect, and this is God's revelation to us. It is powerful and authoritative. Eternal. So we 
we hold onto our Bibles and we open our Bibles and we read our Bibles and we listen and we can trust what the Bible says. And we know that should God feel like he's silent, all we have to do, open the Bible and read and God's speaking. This is his word. And we hold strongly to that. One of our first pieces of our statement of faith actually is God is a speaking God. God is a revelatory God. We also believe that the Lord continues to speak. Not in the same way as this, but it's another category of revelation nonetheless, one, one that has to be tested against this word, but one that is nevertheless a real word of the Lord to his people. Paul speaks of this in his letter to the Corinthian church, particularly in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Consider 1 Corinthians 14, 26 for a moment where he says this. What, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, each has a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And according to Paul's writing, when the church gathers, some have a revelation. Not everyone, but, but some. Yeah, some have a hymn, some have a lesson, which is what I'm doing here, I think. Others, a tongue or an interpretation, but some have a revelation. And as we read in the rest of the chapter, it sure seems that the revelation that he speaks of comes to a person, maybe in the church service or before, or whatever, for the building up of the church. And it's what Paul calls the gift of prophecy. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 31. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You see the equation of revelation and prophecy is what I'm trying to get at here. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. All learn be encouraged by what? By a spontaneous revelation of the Lord that is weighed and proved, considered to see if it, in fact, is the word of the Lord coming to us. It's literally, according to the Greek dictionary, a disclosure. It's like God discloses something to someone, given to a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, slave or free, as Acts 2 speaks clearly of. It's to be used for the building up of the church for the church's encouragement and strengthening. A revelation or prophecy, again, rightly understood and weighed appropriately, is meant by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. And so we should walk in expectancy that the Spirit is going to move in this way among us. And not something to be despised in the littlest way. It was on Thursday that I received a text from Pam Palzer who felt the Spirit impress something on her heart and, and mind on two separate occasions that she believed maybe something to build up the church. And I, I was finishing up my sermon on Psalm 3 at that time, at least the first draft of it, um, which we will continue next week. I thought more about what she felt impressed to share um, so Thursday, you know, I told you last week, Fridays, I'm t we're joining our taking Fridays as our Sabbath day, and we're trying to just like move, remove everything and just spend time together and spend time with the Lord and re refresh, be refreshed as much as we can, which we're just like totally learning and failing and, and trying as best we can. But Thursday, I try to finish my sermon and then come back to it Saturday. And so I got the text on Thursday, thinking about it, processing it, 
leaves my mind on Friday. Come Saturday, started working on my sermon again, and I'm like, and the Lord brings back Pam's message to me. I'd forgotten about it. Brings it back, and so I read it, and I was like, oh, man, man, the Lord has something to say. And the, my other three points can wait for next week. Because we need to know something this morning, and I think it's this point, and we must not move on from it. We can speak to God. It seems like a basic thing, but I want us to consider for a moment. And so I'm gonna have Pam share it in just, just a moment, Pam. We don't, again, believe that a prophetic word is in the same vein as a thus says the Lord kind of prophecy from the Old Testament, but we do believe when the Lord prompts someone in this way and it aligns with Scripture, it can be seen and understood that the Lord is, in fact, speaking God in the present. He knows us. He knows us. He didn't just speak in the days past. He speaks now as well. And, And we test it against this. He knows our struggles to believe and to trust his heart amid the real trouble we're in. And so I want you to listen to what I believe is a word from the Lord for us this morning in concert with what I've already spoken of in this text this morning about speaking to God. So Pam, would you mind coming forward and coming over to this microphone and sharing, uh, sharing this word? I am with you, dear ones. My arms are open wide, ready to receive you in my warm embrace. You will find no anger or condemnation in my heart toward you, nor will you find the disdain or disgust that you fear lurks there. I'm gonna have you just slow down just a little bit so that that everyone can really catch this. Mm. I have only love for you. My love for you knows no bounds. Come and soak in it, my dearly beloved child. My love brings healing to your heart and refreshment to your soul. You are mine. Breathe it in and rest in it. This is truth. My heart is where you will find your true home. I long for you to bring to me all of your joys and your sorrows to sit with me and empty your heart of every burden. It is in the place that you pour out your heart to me that I will meet with you, and I will speak deep healing and peace and contentment to you. I will listen to you, and I will laugh, and I will cry with you as you share your heart with me. For I am the most tender-hearted of fathers, I will answer all of your questions by giving you a clear understanding of myself. And you will find your heart to be strangely full and at rest. It is in this place of authentic brokenness before me where you share openly and transparently everything that is in your heart that I will bring you healing. You need have no fear of how I will react to your questions and hurts and doubts and even anger. 
I already know everything that is in your heart, and I long to meet you right there. In fact, I am the only one who can meet you right there. I am for you, my beloved child, and nothing can alter or change the course of my love for you. Nothing. You are the apple of my eye. Come to me, my beloved child. I love you. Now, you won't hear that in Scripture in quite that way. This was, this was something that was impressed on Pam this week that is packed with Scripture. But you feel the present sense of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We celebrate again Trinity Sunday. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. His active presence among us, speaking to us. Let me just share some verses with you that just, just to prove along with what Pam just said. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So far, so good, right? This is exactly what Pam's speaking of. This is exactly what the Spirit is directing us towards. He's saying, come, the Lord is saying, come, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Anything? I mean, think about David's situation. Think about your situation right now. Think about that which you've brought in here with you. Shall tribulation separate you or distress? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But, but then let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You you cover him with favor as with a shield. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save. You deliver, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and so we are. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Do you, do you see what the Lord is trying to tell us this morning? He loves us and he's saying, come to me. You are weary. Come to me and find rest. 
Tell me of your troubles. Speak of your troubles. You hear his heart. Friends, I want to go through this psalm. We'll continue it next week because the whole psalm is just a wonderful psalm of, of the promise of deliverance and whatnot. But, but wanting in this moment now by the Spirit for us to consider and reflect, to know amid the sorrow, to know amid all of our enemies that the Lord is for us, that he hears you, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he is with you. It is in the coming to him over and over again, though the enemies are many, that we fight the fight to not succumb to our doubts and our fears and anger and depression, but we turn to him, we go to him, and we tell him of our troubles because he welcomes us to do so as his children, his beloved, his sons and daughters, the apple of his eye. And I just thought it best that we stop and we sing together. And sitting, standing, kneeling, whatever, to sing together, to pray, to come to God with our sorrows, that we might get this one thing and not be confused by many things, but this one thing, that our God loves us and he calls us and welcomes us to come to him and share with him our sorrows. To simply cast them on him, this this one-way action of casting on him because he cares for us. And that in the casting, in the sharing with him our troubles, he will, by the power of the Spirit and the word of God, give us a clearer vision of himself. That we would see him and trust him, that we would know the Father's love, the love of Christ, power of the Spirit that causes our eyes to go to him and see him, that we would know his love for us and his presence, that our souls would be flooded with peace. So what we're going to do before the Lord's Supper is we're going to sing together. And all I want you to do is just know where you are right now. You're in the throne room by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is here because he's invited us in and he's welcomed us in and we come to him. Tell him of your sorrow. If somebody else's sorrow comes to your mind, tell him of their sorrow. And let's just see what the Lord does in our hearts.